I ate last week and talked to us a little bit about, um, if you remember, Thursday it talked about the greatest in the kingdom and talked about uh, when Jesus had that conversation come up was right after he was at the Mount of Transfiguration. We just give a poof over that, but it sparked my interest and I was wanting to know as I thought on that and God kind of has been dealing with me on, um, why was Moses and Elijah the two that appeared on the mountain in the transfiguration with Jesus. And so I studied out. So this Sunday, I'm going to talk to us about Elijah. There's a lot to be said about Elijah. You might want to move away from him. He'll get you in trouble. Okay. But anyway, I want to talk about Elijah. And of course, we're going to have to go back into the Old Testament to come up with that particular thoughts. And you may even want to write some notes down, some scriptures, because there's quite a bit of scripture I'm going to be covering. And uh, if you want to, this week, throughout the week, refer to some of these scriptures and read up on it and kind of polish up on what happened. I'm going to be in 1 Kings, so if you want to turn there, we'll turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to open your eternal word and find in it the facts, the figures, the history, everything that you want us to know about what we should be as a child of God. Just bless our time together as we read and study and put together some portions of scripture that uh, lead up to uh, future thinkings. That's one, one thing I appreciate about the word of God. It's not only written for 2,000 years ago, but it's written for 2,000 years today. So we ask, Lord, that you just bless our time in the Word, that it would make sense to us, and that we could put the pieces of the puzzle together and know where we, as a child of God, fit in this picture of the scheme of what you have for your church, uh, Father, before you come again and take the church home with you. So bless us, we pray, in every way, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the book of Kings is about the kings, the kings that were over Old Testament Jerusalem, and are not Jerusalem, but Judea and Israel. Actually, we know the first king of Israel was uh, Saul. He was a disappointment, and God had to anoint someone else. That was David, amen? David really didn't even fit, if you would, the image of a king, so to speak, um, so much as what you would think a king would be when he gets anointed. And when Samuel went down to Jesse's house, that's David's father, to anoint a king, he had several sons. I think seven or eight, all right? I think seven, am I right on that? Maybe eight. Seven sounds right. All right, I'll have to ask Monk. I think seven's a good number. All right, but anyway, he went down there and of course, uh, he called in the oldest son, and Samuel said, oh, that's not the one God said. And they called the next one, and, they, and they finally, and he said to Jesse, after he'd been through the first six, he said, ain't you not got any more kids? One more. He's just a runt. He's just a little rudy kid. He's out there watching the sheep. Of course, anybody can watch sheep. You know, you just give that job just any old buddy. You don't have to have no brains. You don't have to have nothing except to keep the sheep safe and watch out for bears and wolves or whatever. 
And uh, anybody can do that. And if you see any problems like that, just blow your horn and somebody will come help you with uh, running off the fox or whatever's coming towards the sheep. So David was anointed by Samuel. And of course, in the kings, he was the next king after Saul. And then the issue that we have in the book of Kings actually starts not with Saul, not with David, but with Solomon, David's son. He's the one that built the temple in Jerusalem. God would not allow David to do it because he was a man of war, but he did allow him to gather all the material it would take to build not only the temple, but the entire city of Jerusalem, the wall, and even the king's houses that were within the wall, the temple, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies sanctuary, and everything that God described to Moses he wanted in his at that time, tabernacle, which became the temple. And so in all of that, we find that. But what actually happened when Solomon stepped off the, uh, the action of being king, the, the, the Israel split. They had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom because Solomon had so many sons, you know? They all thought they should be the next king. Well, several of them got their turn and their opportunities and what actually happened is jealousy have you ever heard of jealousy when somebody gets to be bigger than somebody else uh, I know for a fact that that does take a place because when I was hired in at, at a John Deere dealership way back in 1970 I was hired in at the beginning level I was just one of the snot-nosed punks that came off the street to work on John Deere's. And there was another fellow that was hired the exact same day I was. He and I had the exact same seniority, right? And we both started working the same day, both did the same job, both there, you know, how that works. Well, the service manager retired, moved on, and they needed a service manager. So they asked everybody, anybody want to be the service manager? Well, about six of the people there, plus everybody on the outside that they advertised for the position, uh, wanted the position. So they tested us all. We all had to take all the tests and all the things about being a manager. And it came down to the end. The boss came back and asked me, said, you scored high enough. I didn't, I don't know whether I was number one, but I was in like the top three and everything they tested for. And he offered me the position. All right, I can tell you, probably was a bad mistake for me to take it because everybody else that was in the shop under me as a service manager looked at me as like, who are you? You're just one of us. You shouldn't be over us. Well, I didn't try to be over them. I just tried to manage what's taken, but they were the J word because I got the position they all wanted, all right? They even uh, uh, dedicated the song that uh, on the radio, you know, uh, about me, you know, you can take this job and you know what to do with it, right? Because I ain't working here no more and, and one of them even quit. So anyhow, jealousy does play a role. But where we pick it up in what we're going to talk about Elijah is even generations on down and there's going to be a king that we're going to talk about 
who was the nemesis, if you would, or the arch enemy of a lot of things going on in the kingdom of Israel. Now, Israel's the northern portion of what you would call all of Israel, and Judea is the southern portion. Jerusalem is in the southern. Judea, portion of what was known as all of Israel. When the Moses brought all the people out of across the Jordan River to take over. They took over all of it. When Saul was king, he was king over all of it. When David was king, he was king over all of it. When Solomon was king, he was uh, king over all of it. But his sons, because of jealousy, divided it in half. And one took the northern, and then we had Israel in the north and Judea in the south. You can look at that in the back of your Bibles where they had the the different maps drawn up of the time of Christ or the time, Old Testament times and the time of Christ coming to pass. What you think's right in the middle between the north and the south? Anybody know right off the top of your head? This is not in your uh, final exam, but it will be uh, a test that you'll need. There was a city called Samaria. You know what Samaria was known? You know the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. You know why? Well, they weren't north and they weren't south. They were stuck in the middle. And so some of the people in Samaria liked what was going on in Israel. Some liked what was going on in Judea. So if you talked to them, it was kind of like they couldn't make up their mind. You know? You ever meet people like that? Oh, yeah, they're all over the place. There's Samaritans everywhere. Amen? Now, they don't live in Samaria, but that's the country that, or the city that was there. You read about the things in there, of course, we know about the good Samaritan, don't we? All right, so those kind of stories are relatable if you know the history behind them. But here in this portion of Scripture, and let me read some of it to you, in 1 Kings chapter 16, I'm going to start in verse 29 and just read down through verse 33. This is going to tell us about Ahab and uh, his relationship there and what he came up against. And when he was king, he became the king, and how he wanted to run the country under his kingship. So listen close. It'll tell you a whole lot about Ahab that I won't have to tell you. You already know it. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Remember, Judah's the southern part. They've got one king. So when that 38th year of Asa is running his kingdom, that's when Ahab starts his rule in the northern kingdom, or Israel. 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab's son Ori to reign in Israel. And Ahab, uh, the son of Ori, uh, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now this is early in the year and he had his kingship, if you would, or his place of residence in Samaria. Again, that's on the borderline. Later on, Israel's going to separate from Samaria, and that's what I just talked about. And Judea's going to separate from Samaria and kind of leave it out on an island. And that's when Jesus goes through Samaria, you find all the things he's talking about. North didn't want them, south didn't want them, and Jesus took them all in. All right, so here we go. Verse 30, and Ahab had the son of Ari did evil. Got that? Evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. In other words, well, I'll talk to that in a minute. And it came to pass as if he had been 
a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now Jeroboam was one of the sons in the lineage of Solomon that was taking part here. That he took a wife, what's his wife's name? Jezebel. Now you all know that name, right? That rings a bell because it's Jezebel. Never mind. The daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zyodians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. What's Baal? It's he's pretty much a devil. All right, all right. It's an idol. It's false worship. All right. Let's find. We'll find out. And he, Ahab, liked Baal so much that he built him a house, and he built an altar in the house of Baal, and he built him, uh, which he had built in Samaria. In Samaria, remember where that is, right? All right. Verse thirty-three. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Wow. It's like he was in a race to get to the bottom. Amen? All right. He said it in verse 10. Uh, he, he did more evil. And in verse number uh, 33, he provoked God more than any other king. Wow. That guy had a bad attitude, didn't he? Amen. Well, this portion of Israel's history tells about that king, Ahab. And of course, we just read in verse 30 that Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings before him. Wow. That's saying a lot. Now, when things are going wrong for a leader, there are those that compare that leader to other leaders. All right? Do you know there are people that think President Trump was the worst president than all the other presidents when he was president? And now that he stepped off the stage and we got a new president, now people, there are people that think he's the worst we've ever had. Well, you just have to kind of let that flow with the, the way things go because uh, everybody wants to point by saying he's the worst ever. Whatever side of the political aisle you're on, if you would, you point to the guy on the other side that he's terrible, he's the worst, he's... Oh, we can't have him. Well, I can tell you, to say you're the worst there ever was is not a title you really want to wear. Amen? Amen. So, in my life, I've heard that statement about a lot of people. He's the worst there ever was at, and you fill in the blank, there are companies that weren't doing well financially. So, you know what they do? They fire the CEO. They get rid of him. He's the worst we've ever had, and the company's in the toilet because it. Why am I allowed to say that? I don't want to be potty mouth. He, he's the worst we've ever had. I know a couple of you caught up with me. All right. And then we have major sports teams. When they can't win a game for nothing, it seems like, their record is. Not that good. I almost said it again, didn't I, Brother Steve? In the, never mind. 
what do they do? They don't fire the whole roster of players. They fire the coach. You know? And he never played us down on football. He never pitched an inning in baseball. He didn't do nothing but sit over there with a fancy hat on and, and a headset or whatever and tell the people what. And if they lose, he's out of here. He's the worst we've ever had. Amen? How many times you heard that even from the Bengals? Amen? The, that coach is the worst. But you win it. You win and make the playoffs. Ah, oh, he's awesome. Give him a raise, right? Well, Ahab was one of them that you'd want to, you're out of here. You're the worst we've ever had. So uh, when we think of those things, think about how it even applies in our day and time now. So here in our text, it said that Ahab was the worst ever. Amen? If it had been said by a CEO of a company or a sports team, We'd stop, question the motives of the accusion, accuser, but when it's said in Scripture, it's different. You know, you could say that coach was the worst or that president of the company was the worst, but you know what? I wouldn't listen to them. You know why? Because they probably had a dollar or two at stake in this thing or jealousy promoted someone else instead of them is why they say he was the worst ever. But when it's in Scripture, I'm going to listen. I'm not going to listen to all the critics that say he's the worst, but I will listen to the Holy Spirit because he's one that wrote this about Ahab. I'm going to believe up to this point because they hadn't had that many kings He's the worst ever. Amen? Now, there could have been more after that that probably were worse. Uh, if so, the Holy Spirit will probably point it out to us as we study on deeper into God's Word. But at this point, he was the pits. He was the, as bad as it gets. Amen? So, now, since God says he's the worst, that's got to be pretty bad. Now, as bad as Ahab was, even in God's opinion, he married a woman named Jezebel in verse 31. So why would he marry Jezebel? Well, I don't know. I, I've seen an awful lot of marriages that I wondered why in the world would she even look at him or why in the world would she even consider him I mean, if you was, in God's opinion, the worst king in the world, why would somebody want to come along and say, let's get married. We're going to get along just fine. Everybody's going to like it. No, 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 no. I don't think that's... You know why they do that? What's the old saying? Birds of a feather. Two peas in a pod. You've heard all the sayings, right? Well, here they are. Here's Jezebel, and she's the daughter of Ethabal, Baal, or Ethabal, I guess you could say. B-A-A-L means who it is, idol worshiper. He, so her dad was an idol worshiper. He worshiped Baal, and he was the king of the Zyodians. You know where the Zyodians lived? Another history lesson. They lived in Sodom. Does that name ring a bell in the Old Testament? What happened in Sodom? <gasps> Oh, they were some bad people, weren't they? 
Matter of fact, they were probably the worst that had ever been. Right? Huh? And you know what God thought of them because what did he do to Sodom? He rained fire and brimstone on there after he called Lot and his wife out of town and said, don't even bother looking back. Well, some people still want to test God when he tells them not to do something. She looked back and she became a little bit salty. She became a pillar of salt. So she... Uh, uh, so when we think about this and we think about Jezebel hooking up with Ahab, we can just get things in our mind as to how bad things could get for Israel in the eyes of God. We not only have the worst king, now we have a Baal worshiper, an idol worshiper. Baal, um, just for uh, history as I can relate to it as I've studied it Baal was the idol they worshipped that was the one that sent rain he was the global warming guy of Ahab's day alright and he's the one that took care of the rain he was a god of rain of dew of the clouds of lightning of thunder he was the god of all of that uh, that they worshipped there. So, um, actually the last line in verse number 31 says about her that they went and served and worshipped him, meaning Baal. That's who they worshipped. They didn't worship God, they worshipped Baal. In verse 32 and 3, we read it, but uh, it tells of what Ahab did with his dedication of the marriage to his wife that loved Baal, he built a house for him in Samaria. Then in that house of worship for Baal, he built an altar. Well, then he went even so far as in the next verse to build a grove. You know what a grove is? What's a grove? He planted a bunch of trees. What are they for? They're for to be used for the sacrifices to Baal. That's what those trees are for. Do you know over in that part of the country, trees aren't all that prominent? Tell me about that, Brother Begin. Is that true in that part of the country? The trees aren't as thick as they are in America? Or do they have trees in that area? Or do you know about Jerusalem and that area? You don't know? Okay, well, I heard a man say not long ago that when he said that Jesus was a carpenter, he didn't mean like we would think a carpenter because they didn't have trees in the area where he was at. Not in plenteous to be used for lumber or what we'd think carpentry was worth wood. He was more of a stone cutter. Worked with stones rather than wood is what he said. I kind of found that funny. And I've, I've got to get my books out and study on that a little bit. But uh, here we find that he built a grove and you'll follow in the book of Kings that each king that came up that was evil built groves to the false gods. And guess what happened when a good king come along? He'd cut down their groves and burn them. So they couldn't wash, worship the false gods. Well, to sum it all up, 
Now, like in, we said earlier, Ahab did more to provoke God of Israel and to anger him than any other king that had been before him. So let's look at the worship uh, of Baal. Throughout there, we know that the worship of Baal was because he controlled the rain. He controlled the dew. Amen? I even knew that the uh, American Indians used to do what they called a rain dance. When they needed rain, they'd build a fire and stomp their tom-toms and run around circles and, and yell and scream for rain. Rain is very important. Amen? I, I've been telling Bonnie, uh, when we get the little rains that we, like this morning, how many of you was it raining when you drove to work? I mean to church, sorry. Was it still raining? Well, good. I call those million-dollar rains, the ones that come so slow they get to soak in. Now, the ones that just come and wash off, those aren't that. That ain't worth the time it takes to do them. But the million-dollar rains are the ones that come slow and soak in. And so everybody needs rain. So if you're the king that's the worst of the worst, God's going to do something to reveal how bad you are as your influence over his people in your worship of the idol whose job it is to send rain. What do you think God's going to do? He's going to stop the rain for about three years. I'll show them. If they think they can pray to Baal and get rain anytime they want it, and he's a false idol, and he's the worst of the worst, I'll show him a thing or two. I'll just not let it rain for three years. Well, how'd he do that? Well, he had to do it through the prophets because he couldn't talk to Ahab. Ahab and God didn't have conversations. But the prophet Elijah was on the same track with God. And God called up Elijah and said, Hey, Elijah, I need you to run down to Ahab's house. Give him some good news. You know that false idol he's worshipped called Baal? The one that controls the rain? Tell him there's going to be no rain, no dew, no clouds for three years. Now, if you was Elijah, you would probably say, Oh, no, that guy dedicates everything he's got excuse me, everything he's got to that, and i got to tell him for three years? None of it's going to happen? Whoa. Well, so God sends him down in 1 Kings 18, verse 1. No, sorry, 17, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite, who was a... Uh, in, of, was of the inhabitants of Gilead said unto Ahab as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand there shall not be dew nor rain these years but according to my word that's it we're done no more rain you can't go that long even in Hamilton, where I live, or Milford, or wherever you live, Westchester, you just cannot go three years with no rain or dew. There will be absolutely nothing left. The trees will die, 
All the fruit will die. Everything's gone. No gardens. No nothing. Even the animals will be struggling. Amen? So you're going to have to irrigate. You're going to have to carry water. You're going to have to import. You're going to have to do something to get water because you just can't live that long without it. And here is a declaration from a man of God. I stand before God to tell you this is what he said to Ahab. It ain't going to rain for three years. Whoa. I bet that tickled him to death. Huh. Here's the declaration, Ahab. No rain, no dew, three years according to what? The scripture says, my word. God's going to speak through me because you won't listen to him. And God can't come down in a human form and look you in the eyeball and say that. God's a spirit. But he can speak to me and I'm telling you. Amen? So the word of Elijah came from God and was totally the opposite of what Ahab had been taught would happen if he worshipped Baal. Isn't that something? Elijah leaves and goes hides from Ahab probably because Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him for even saying something bad about Captain Baal or the false god, false worship of Baal. Amen? In the meantime, we find that God went with Elijah. Now we got three years to cover here as to what Elijah did. God told him to go down by this brook and you stay there and just live there, hang out there by the brook. And this brook is one of the brooks of a tributary. You know what a tributary to the river is? It's the small creek that runs into the big river. And this small creek that he went to stay by ran into the Jordan River. (coughs) Excuse me. The Jordan River ran from the Sea of Galilee in Israel down through the countryside to the Dead Sea down in Judea. Okay, so it went right through all the country at that point. And he said, if you go stay there, it's going to be a while. We're waiting on three years to pass. You got to sit in Has anybody ever told you you're not going to be important for three years? Well, that's not true. It wasn't true of Elijah. But he had already said three years from now, there's going to be a big event. But not right now. So while he's waiting on those three years, God's not going to just let him sit there and do nothing. For the first few, uh, I don't know how long, but he stayed at at this river, or this brook, it's called a brook, and God uh, sent a raven to feed him. The ravens brought him bread. Now how bad does the bread got to be if the ravens won't eat it and they just drop it off at your feet? Huh? Well, that's another story. But... Eventually, with no rain, even that brook that God told him to stay by uh, would dry up. And it did. It dried up. Now, Elijah is even in a pickle. The brook, I was trusting God to keep me till it rained. It's dried up. Do you think that sowed any doubt? Do you think the devil started working on Elijah? Why you listen to God? Look where he did. He sent you down here. Now even this brook's dried up. You're going to die like the rest of them. But before the devil could get in his mind if you wouldn't say that, and he says to him in verse 9 there, I'm going to send you to a widow. 
Her name's Zarephath. When you go there, she's going to take care of you now until, for the rest of the time until it's time for the rain to come. Well, he goes in and gets to that town and he meets her and she's out gathering firewood. And he says, hey, the Lord sent me here for you to give me something to drink and something to eat. She said, well, you came to the wrong place, brother. I'm out picking up sticks now so that I can build a fire and use what little I have. It's just a handful. And I'm going to make a cake for me and my son, and we're going to eat that, and then we're just going to go die because we're out of everything. There's nothing left. We're going to starve to death after this one cake. And Elijah said, oh, no, no, no. God said, uh-oh. God said, you get that? God said, if you feed me, I'll see to it that you never run out of mill or oil for all the rest of the time that God is going to have you here taking care of me and whatever situation is. Now, how long that was, I don't know. But I know it was a three-year period that we were looking at that rain didn't come. Now, why was she running out of meal? Where does meal come from? Wheat? Corn? No rain? No wheat? No corn? Eventually, no meal. All right? Can't make bread. Can't make anything. Because they were the basis, if you would, for everything that they did eat, pretty much. But in verse 13... Elijah says, fear not. That means trust me. Amen? Trust me. And what I say, because it's the word of the Lord. So God promised her meal and oil, and it would not run out till God sends the rain. And, of course, I like to add that God sends the rain. Not Baal, God. Amen? And it would come. While everyone else is running out, Zarephath, had plenty. Isn't that something? Wonder why? Because God wanted to prove Elijah was his man. Amen? Alright, so we drop down if you want to in verse 24, I mean uh, 17 to 24, and here we find that uh, Zarephath, faith had to be tried again. What happened? Her son dies. Hmm. Well, Elijah takes the boy, takes him to an upper room in verse 21, prays for him, and the son revives, comes back to life. Again, the Lord heard that prayer in verse 22, and things changed. Verse 24, Zarephath said, Now I know that thou art the man of God, and the word of God is in your mouth. Amen? What did it take for her to understand? Number one, she never ran out of meal or oil. And number two, when her son died, God gave her her son back. Amen? Now, if you were in the same scenario, would that not ring your bell and increase your faith and belief in what God and God's man is telling you? I would say it would. All right. So when we get to chapter 18... The three years are now past. Three-year period of waiting for rain is gone. All the water carrying from the sea, from Galilee, from wherever, the River Jordan, wherever they carried it from, 
Of course, the River Jordan ran from the Sea of Galilee right past Samaria. Uh, probably uh, most of the water that they survived on for those three years probably came from the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. I don't know that, but just looking at it from a geography standpoint, that's what it looks like. And in there we find that the three years is up and it's time to prove to Ahab and Jezebel and all of Israel who is the true God. The day has come. Verse 1, God sends Elijah to Ahab and sends rain with him in his voice. Not literally, just yet. But there's going to be some things that have to take place. Well, Ahab, you think he was happy to see him? Nah. He made a fool out of Ahab's false god that he loved to worship. Amen? So Ahab sees him coming in verse number 17 and says, Here comes the troublemaker. Huh. Just because there hadn't been any rain, because God said it's not going to rain, the guy that's the messenger is the troublemaker. I'm the troublemaker at Faith Christian Fellowship. Amen? When things don't go right, I'm the troublemaker. When people don't see things the same way as I do, I'm the troublemaker. When they get crossed up and studying their word, the Bible, it's my fault. Did you know that? That's right. That's the way it works. Here comes old troublemaker. So Elijah tells Ahab, gather your people, all of them. Get them all up. We're going up on Mount Carmel. You're going up there. You bring all the prophets of Baal you have. He gathered up 450 of them. While they're up on the mountain, they could be seen by all of Israel around. You know what? There wasn't any bushes in the road. There wasn't any trees in the road. Hadn't rained for three years. So they could probably stand in the valley and see all the way up through those rocks because that's probably all that was left. So they're standing there looking. And uh, uh, when they get there, Elijah says, we're going to prove who the true God is. Verse 21, Elijah addresses all the people and tells them it's time to choose who is the really true God. Is it Baal? If it is, you can serve him. But if it's not, if it's the Lord God, you need to follow him. Amen? So, they call for two calves to be brought up to the mountain. And Elijah tells them, uh, uh, let the prophets of Baal, they can choose whichever calf they want first. They get first choice. You get, get to go first. You set up the altar. You put that calf and prepare it however you want to sacrifice to Baal. Put it on the altar. Put the wood on it any way you want to do it. Wherever you gathered the sticks from, whatever it's going to take, you put your calf on there and you pray to Baal, but you can't light fire to the altar or to the sacrifice. So, they did. They start praying. They started in the morning. And so when they did, they uh, yelled, they cried, they screamed, they hollered, and even Elijah made fun of them. Maybe your God's asleep. Yell louder. Maybe you can wake him up. 
Maybe he's on vacation. Just give him a little while to get back from vacation and he'll come over. He hears you. They even cut themselves. Wow. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Amen. They started cutting, hoping maybe he would hear them cry when they cut themselves. You know, you can't cut yourself without it hurting. Amen. So here's their sacrifice. Still, no fire fell. And finally, I guess we've got to give up. There's no fire falling. So Elijah wipes the place clean, straightens up everything, lines up the stones around it, the 12 stones he put. What are they for? 12 tribes of Israel. He digs a ditch around it. Now remember, hadn't rained for three years. All right? I can tell you when I water to my tomatoes and hadn't rained all week, you could stand there at the hose for a long, long time before you see water on top of the ground because it's going to take it in just like a sponge. Right? So he puts his calf on there, his wood. He's ready to sacrifice. And he tells them, you know what, just to make it fair, you go get the water and pour it on this. Just keep pouring water on. They sent three different times. He sent them down to get water and pour it on it until even the trench around the altar was full of water. Now remember, the ground's super dry, so it's going to absorb a lot. By the time they poured the first batch on there, it probably evaporated because everything was so dry. But they did it three times. And it says the ditch was even full around it, or the trench. And then Elijah... Just says, well, okay, God, it's your turn. There's your sacrifice. You send a fire. What happens? Fire falls from heaven. It consumes the calf. It consumes the wood. It consumes the stones. It consumes all the water in the ditch. And there's no doubt who is the true God. The God, Lord God, or the God of Baal. Amen? It's a done deal. Amen? So when all the people saw, it says in verse 39, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord God, he is God. They said it twice. The Lord God, he is God. Baal was put out of business. Amen? So they all gathered up, surrounded the 450 prophets, took them down in the valley, and killed them all. Amen? Then Elijah tells Ahab, Ahab, did you just see what happened? Of course, he couldn't deny it. He said, well, I'm going to tell you what, you better get in your chariot now, head home, because by the time you get there, it's going to be raining so hard that the wheels in your chariot are going to sink in the mud and you won't be able to get there. So I'm giving you a heads up to go. And off he takes off. And while Elijah sits there and waits on the rain that God promised, he has some servants. He says, uh, hey guys, you see anything in the, the distance that looks like rain? And he sent them and they came back and said, nah, we didn't see nothing. Well, go again, check it again. So they go back and they went several times back. Not yet. And the seventh time, he, they sent them. You know what? They came back and said, you know what? There is a cloud out there. It's about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, that's the one. Here it comes. 
and says that after that the sky turned black and it just burst loose up, uh, raining everywhere and the great rain came amen if reality was known there basically the nature went back to being the nature it was before God stopped it from being nature which eliminated them from obeying if you would Baal the God of rain now there's no more details about Elijah in the Old Testament scriptures but I mean you know we know a lot more about it but not about this particular part but he was it caught my eye that this portion of scripture was then uh, what I spoke on when I spoke about the transfiguration last Thursday night well on that mount Moses and Elijah appeared now there's a whole lot more in the Old Testament about a lot you know he went up in the whirlwind Elisha came along beside him for a while and and he picked up and where Elijah you can read all that if you want but now think about it on the Mount of Trigger of Transfiguration in the New Testament and we're going to go over there here in just a little bit in your mind just think about it Moses and Elijah appeared there why would those be the two that were on that mount with Jesus and three of the disciples that went up on the mount with him. Now all 12 of the disciples went everywhere Jesus went. But when they got to that mount, Jesus just took Peter, James, and John. And those four went up on the mount and they're the only ones that saw what happened up there. All right, now we'll get into that just a little bit. But I want you to understand what if you just put a blanket over Moses's ministry what did he do he delivered God's people from e Egyptian bondage and slavery according to how God said they should leave cross the Red Sea through the wilderness and across the Jordan River to take the land that God had promised them he was a great deliverer amen what he said he spoke for God when, Mo, when Pharaoh wouldn't let him go, Moses said, all right, you don't want to let him go? Well, you're going to be responsible for the plagues that come. And ten of them came. The final straw to all the plagues that came was the Passover plague where all the people died that didn't have the blood on the doorpost of the lamb. All right, now what about Elijah? What was he for the people of God in Israel? He was the great deliverer. They were under Ahab's bondage as king who Jezebel introduced him to Baal who then put him in bondage unto Baal worship instead of the true God worship. Three years they didn't have the privilege, if you would, or the right to worship the true God, the Lord the God. He called, they called him the Lord the God. And here we have a, a, a wicked, sinful king making them worship Baal instead of the true God. So as we look here at what the Bible has to say about it, turn over with me to the very end, the last three verses of the Old Testament. That would be in Malachi 4. Takes me a little longer, new pages. And a new Bible, but thank you for my Bible. I just want to read 
the last few lines in Malachi, the fourth chapter. Verse 4, 5, and 6. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I command unto him in orb for all Israel with my statutes and judgments. All right? You understand what that's saying? Malachi is God's spokesman here. And he says, there's going to be about 400 years here where it's going to be darkest. None of my prophets are going to speak straight from the throne of God. Get ready for it. But in the meantime, don't forget who? Moses and everything he taught you, all the commandments he gave you. That includes keeps the Passover. That includes all the Ten Commandments. Right? You keep all them for 400 years and you'll be in good shape when I make my next move. God's not in any hurry. Amen? Three days to God, or three years for no rain for God, that's, that's pocket change. You know? It's just, and 400 years of silence, nah, God's not worried about that. He'll, he'll justify that when the time comes. But here he said on that, uh, Moses is the one you need to remember what he said. Then he says in verse 5, Behold, what's that mean? Uh-oh, pay attention. I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite thee with a curse. He said, Elijah's coming back. Isn't that something? You ever remember that happening? Well, he did come back on the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't he? Didn't Moses come back then too? Well, uh, let's just look into this a little bit. We understand that uh, Elijah was a standout in the minds of God's people, and when so was Moses, and when they said they were going to do something, they did it. Now, let's look at it in a little different light. That Elijah, I'm going to tell you, then I'll read it to you in Scripture, Elijah came in the spirit of John the Baptist. All right? All right, so when the Old Testament prophets stopped, the next time God spoke in the New Testament was through John the Baptist. Wasn't through Herod, wasn't through Pilate, wasn't through none of the others. It was through John the Baptist. Actually, he's six months older than Jesus. The angel Gabriel met Zechariah in the temple and said, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's going to deliver my people and set up a standard. All right? Now look with me in Matthew 11. Sorry about the time, but new pages. Verse 11. He's talking here about John the Baptist to his disciples. You can read the whole thing. I'm just reading the tail end of this story that he told them. Verily I say unto you, Among them that were born of, wisdom, of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. This is Jesus speaking. Remember? <coughs> Thursday night we talked about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Amen? So he says, John the Baptist, 
But notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. See, John the Baptist wasn't in the kingdom of heaven. It hadn't come yet. Amen? So who's in the kingdom of heaven? The saints. Whoever has been born again in their faith through Jesus Christ's blood are the church now. And they are the ones that Jesus is seeing is even greater than John the Baptist. But at this point in history, nobody has been greater than John the Baptist. That even includes Solomon, David, all of them. John the Baptist is the greatest up to this point. All right, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force, they think. For, or because, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. In other words, that's all Old Testament stuff. In the New Testament, uh, 14, and if you'll receive it, this is, and he says, Elias. Now, why is it called Elijah in the Old Testament and Elias in the New Testament? If you had a concordance and wanted to look up Elijah for any scriptures, you won't find any New Testament scriptures referring to Elijah. It's called Elias. And, there, and that is because in one is Hebrew writing, the other is Greek. The Greek word for Elijah is spelled Elias. Does that make sense to you? So when you see Elias in the New Testament, it's referring to the same Elijah we've been talking about in the Old Testament. All right. For which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So here we have Jesus saying, this John the Baptist, he's the one that we, the Old Testament prophet said would come in the spirit of Elijah. Amen? So it's, you need to understand that he's referred to that way because the different teachings that, uh, or the different languages, how they spell it. Amen? Now, on the Mount of Transfiguration, let's go to that and then I'll close it out. I might even make it to noon, but don't hold your breath. On the Mount of Transfiguration, that's in Matthew 17. Just a few pages back. Remember, verse 1, after six days, Jesus went up on the mount. He was down in the valley with all the disciples. He'd been there for a while. And then he decides to go up on the mountain. Why? Ah, whatever. God said, hey, come on up, I guess. I don't know. I want to talk to you as, as your father. Come on up. He went up there. And we're going to find that as he went up there, he took Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain. I'm just of the opinion the other nine stayed in the valley. I don't know if they were tired from the journey. He said it took six days or whatever. After six days, maybe after six days, they wanted to take a nap. I don't know. I can just read into it what is there, but I'm going to trust that it all works out the way Jesus wanted it to. And behold, verse 3 says, Appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I wonder what they talked about. Don't tell us. We don't know. 
but both of those guys, is there any question in any Jewish person's mind that they were both leaders of God's people? Absolutely not. They both proved it time and time again for their years on this earth and what God spoke through them. They were man, men of God. Then I think when it gets to uh, a lot of what's going on there, uh, it struck the disciples in such a way that uh, they wanted to do some things about it. But when they thought about doing something, because Peter speaks up in verse 4 and said, Man, it's good that we were here. I'm glad I got to see Moses and Elijah. I think we should build three temples for them. God speaks up in verse 6 and says, Ah, shut up, boys. Listen to Jesus. He's my beloved son. Hear ye him. Now, when God speaks, when it says God spoke it, I think the four people that were on the mountain, Jesus and his three disciples, plus Moses and Elijah, if you would, and probably the others that were in the valley, probably heard that voice. Or heard the rumbling or heard some kind of something. Amen? And when the disciples heard it, now does that mean just the three? They're all 12. We don't know. They fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. It's okay. That's probably only the three that went up on the mountain with him because then it says they came down off the mountain. Okay. In verse 9. And he says, Don't tell anybody what you saw up there until after I have been risen from the dead. Well, he's still alive. You know what that means? Shh, don't tell nobody. Amen? And his disciples, in verse 10, asked him, saying, Well, then why does the Old Testament people say Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And you guys missed it. Here they're supposed to be smart Old Testament studiers, supposed to know the law, supposed to know everything about Israel. And he says, you guys missed it. Elijah was here. He came in the form of John the Baptist. Amen? Let's read it. But I say unto you, Elijah or Elias has come already, and they knew not knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall the Son of Man suffer them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke of John the Baptist. Now what did they do to John the Baptist? His head got removed from his shoulders by an evil king named Herod. Amen? So when they treated John the Baptist that way, Jesus says, don't think it's going to be any different the way they treat me. But when I arise from the dead, I want you to remember all this stuff because it's going to be on you guys to carry on where I leave off. Because I'm out of here. I'm going home to be with my father. So they knew what was going on. And even in verse 12, he says, likewise... In other words, in the same way they treated John the Baptist, the people that were Jews, Israel, 
people that would have really, should have really been on God's team, they treated John the Baptist terrible. Amen. Well, they're going to do the same to me. And they have disciples, ah, that's really not real. And finally, in verse 13, the disciples got it. They knew he was talking about John the Baptist. And they also knew that John spoke about Jesus. You know how I know that they knew John was speaking about Jesus? Because when they saw Jesus coming to be baptized of John, some of John's followers quit following John started following Jesus. So some of the followers in the group here not only had their teeth, if you would, cut on the teachings of John the Baptist, it all fell in line with what Jesus was teaching as he went around declaring the word that God gave him. So what about us today? Have we seen and heard enough to know that we should be following Jesus? Amen? Or are we still holding on to our false gods and our false idols of our own making? Amen? I can tell you, if you worship anything that's made with hands, it's false. That's false worship. It's time to be sure who you're going to serve. Just like Elijah said, if it's Baal, follow him or any other God you want to serve. If you want to follow him, you have the right to do it. But if God proves himself to be who he really is, you've got to forsake all the false idols and follow God. He's the one that you need to be in touch with from now till he comes again. Amen? Elijah started us on the right track followed up by a lot of other people down through there, even John the Baptist and even into Christ and the apostles. But now it's up to you and I to choose who's God. Who are we going to follow? The true God or any God made with hands or any other thing that we want to follow other than the true God. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.